So back to Esther. And um, I, I appreciate very much that Susan pointed out that it's a young woman. I also appreciate the fact that she didn't tell you the story about Xerxes. I mean, if you want to celebrate being a woman, Esther's the book. If you want to be ashamed of being a guy, Esther's the book. Xerxes, or Ahasuerus, as the Hebrew version would be, was despicable. I mean, here's a guy who spends half a year displaying his wealth. He, he brings everybody into the royal court and shows them all the things that he has. And then at the end of that, he says, I know. Let's have the biggest feast you could ever imagine, and let's celebrate me. And by the way, after just a little bit too much wine, the king said, where's Vashti? So now Vashti, we didn't meet her yet, was his wife. She was the queen. And so he sent his messengers to Vashti. Now, the interesting thing is you read, Esther, and I invite you to read this story over and over again, because every time there's some nuance that I think you'll notice, and we're going to try to, to see the story through the eyes of these various characters. It'll be hard to see it through Haman's eyes, but we will. And as, as we go through all of this, and we have a look at this guy, Ahasuerus, um, we, we notice that while he's having this great banquet, so is his wife, the queen. In the king's palace, she's having a banquet of her own. That strikes me as just a little different. Like, why was she not at his banquet? Did she not want to be at his banquet? Was she not invited to his banquet? We'll talk about that as weeks come, I think. But the point is that uh, the king says, bring Vashti here so that everyone can see how beautiful she is. This guy is shallow beyond shallow, right? The whole story starts with a shallow, shallow king. When they send for Vashti, she's in the middle of her banquet with her girls for whatever reason. And Xerxes says, bring the queen here so that I can show her off to all of my guy friends. She is so good looking, like she is stunning, and I want everyone to see her. So the messengers trotted over to the part of the palace where Vashti was having her banquet, and they said, His Majesty the King wants you to come, and he wants to display you to his friends at his banquet. And she thinks, and she looks at the messenger, and she says, I don't think so. Now, you've already gotten a bit of a sense of the way things were in those days. When the king said something, you don't get to say, no, I don't think so. So when the word got back to the king that Vashti sends her regrets, he hits the roof and says, this is astonishing that, that this would happen. And his best friends gather around him. They're called wise men. I'm not sure why. But these wise men do understand something of the dynamics in here. And they say, oh, king, if you let her get away from this, you know what's going to happen next? It'll be the slippery slope. It'll be the camel in the tent. It'll be all these things. Next thing you know, 
every wife in the kingdom is going to say no to her husband. Right? Anybody want to comment on that? Or comment on the wisdom of all of that? So they say, so you, you have to put an end to this. Because honestly, next thing you know, all of the men in your kingdom will have wives who defy them. And so you better stop it or this will be a landslide. So the, the king thinks, and he's furious at Vashti. He's lost face in the middle of all of this. I mean, he's been parading his great wealth and power and prowess. And now his wife dares to say no to him. And next thing he agrees. All the women in the kingdom will be saying no. So he, he writes an edict um, demanding that every husband take his proper place, we can maybe talk about that, in the families, in the households of the kingdom, and that all of these husbands demand respect, obedience from their wives. And that each of these people, and the way the edict is crafted is kind of interesting, that they're also to speak in the language of their people. So, Whatever that means, husbands doing their duty in this kingdom are to speak to their households and to remind them who's the boss, who's the king. Well, the story after that just gets more and more intriguing. And uh, the result of Vashti's rebellion is that the king says, that's it, I'm done with her. How long have we been married now? Too long. So he said, Vashti is not to be the queen. We'll find a new queen. Thank you very much. So what will he do? Will he think better of that decision? Will he wonder about the wisest way to find a new queen? Or will he stay on his shallow little track and say, let's find another beauty queen. Bring them all here and I will choose who's going to be queen. And, and then you know all of the things that began to happen with the intrigue of Haman, um, with the, the worry, the anxiety of Mordecai, of Esther and her true identity being hidden. And in the middle of this book, there is something that has come to be very well known, very famous about the book of Esther. One of the aspects of the book of Esther is that the name of God is never mentioned not even by reference. So God is not in the story of Esther. The other thing that is very interesting in, in the middle of this story is that um, Esther is talking with Mordecai, her older cousin, and um, Mordecai is beside himself, and he's, to say worried is an understatement about the whole Jewish people. And he says, um, Esther, you're, you're going to have to say something. And Esther says, I, I, I can't say, you know what this guy's like. I, I can't just go and say something. I can't go, I, I can't do anything about this. And the, the line that Mordecai speaks is, is famous, where Mordecai says to Esther, don't imagine that you are in the king's palace and can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. 
And here's the line. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Such a time as this. So that's the title for this whole series, For Such a Time as This. And we will come back to this um, over and over again and try to understand how it was that Esther, in her time, in her situation, was used by God, even though we don't see God in the story. Um, but we will learn how that God is in behind the scenes, and in fact, God is all through the story. And that's something that we'll meditate on and wonder about how it is that God is present when he seems to be absent, and how it is that God is using us when we don't sense in any way that he could or would or that we're willing for it. Here is Esther, and this young lady um, responding to her older cousin says, well, you know what will happen if he doesn't want me in there? He, he might kill me. And then the second classic line in the story is, Esther says, if I perish, I perish. She says, all right, I will do it. If I have been raised for such a time as this, I will do it. And so um, the story unfolds from that point on. For such a time as this, um, as I thought about what we should be learning together in this season, just that line um, is, is very poignant. We live in a time that's unprecedented. I mean, we're dealing with things we did not expect to deal with at all. Um, we're in the middle of a pandemic that is confusing to us in, 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 in many, many respects. Um, we are at odds, some people with other people, because um, the vaccine has become a, a problem in some people's minds. In other people's minds, it's not a problem at all. It is a godsend. And yet, brother is fighting against brother, sister against sister over even receiving this vaccine. There is an equity all around the world around the availability of this vaccine. Um, and still, while that is happening, we have a week that just passed that has been filled with tragedy, flooding, fires, wars. And again, um, as we talk to our friends, the question that is begged is this question. What do you think is the problem that we have? I mean, in behind all of these things, why is nature going wrong? Why is health going wrong? Why are people going wrong? And why are these atrocities happening? Here we have Afghanistan in upheaval. And there is the terrible, the treacherous treatment of women in that country that seems to just have been revived as the Taliban has taken over. And we think, boy, for such a time as this, this is a time unlike, I think, all of the times we have experienced. Orville, you've been here probably longer than most of us. Have you ever seen a time like this? It, it really is unprecedented. And so in the middle of that, we come to this story of Esther. And Esther would say, oh my goodness, let me tell you about the times in which we were living. 
we had been deported, um, taken away from our families, taken away from our homes, um, made to live a place we didn't want to live, made to speak a language we didn't want to speak, made to eat food we didn't want to eat, and we were always in fear of our lives. We sensed an undercurrent of hatred around our presence, even in the kingdom. So Esther would say, I learned the hard lesson that even though life was very, very difficult, it was for such a time as this that I ended up there then in God's providence. I wonder how you would answer the question, how has God prepared you for such a time as this? Um, Susan talked about children in school and students in school of all ages and such a time as this. Um, in the middle of a pandemic, it is such a time and we might ask ourselves, what's my place in such a time as this? In a time of upheaval, in terms of wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and tornadoes and storms, in the middle of all of that, in what way have I been prepared for such a time as this? And in what way am I ready now to discern how I have been raised for such a time as this? Esther is a great hero. I want to bring us back just really briefly today to the circle. Uh, you've probably forgotten all about the shapes, so it's time for me to reacquaint you with the shapes. And in the shapes, the first one we looked at was a circle. And as I consider this notion of being raised for such a time as this, the circle comes back to mind. So you'll remember, forgive me if I uh, bore you by repeating this over and over, but one of the things that has been most helpful in, in my life has been to discern the difference between chronos and kairos. And so the words are just the words, but the meaning is what's very, very important. So chronos, you'll remember, is time simply on the clock. Um, talking about chronos is simply asking the question, what time is it? So right now it is 11.16. That's what time it is. This is September the 5th, right, or 4th? Fifth, see, some of you weren't even sure what time it is, so what's the point in going to the second step if we don't know that much, right? No. Chronos is just time as it passes. It's the line in the first shape that the circle hangs on. Time goes on, date goes on, the day moves along. On the other hand, Kairos is not asking what time is it, but it's asking what kind of time is it. And that's the important question. And that's the question that I would um, append to this whole notion of such a time as this. Because when we think about such a time as this, we need to ask ourselves the question, what kind of time is this? We don't talk very often about the second coming of Christ. We hardly mention the rapture. There was a day when every church conference was about that. And there was a time when if we had told one another that the things that are actually happening today in our world would happen, we would have been sure that that means that the coming of Christ is near. We would have been sure because everything would have lined up. 
But now we've slipped past that and it's not the thing that we um, love talking about and we disagree with one another about how Christ will come, when Christ will come, and so on. But when we get to the question about Kairos, what kind of time is it? Is it the kind of time um, that is critical because the coming of Christ is on its way and the things that God has to do in the world still depend on his people? If you were God or if I were God, I'd have given up on us about getting his purposes done. Sometimes we do fairly well. Sometimes some people do extremely well. But I think most of us would say that actually most of the time we feel as though we're we're kind of subpar in our ability to get God's will done in our world. What is it that God would want us to do in such a time as this when it comes to the matter of Kairos? So the New Testament teaching around Kronos and Kairos is that Jesus said the, um, the time is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. And John the Baptist had said the very same thing. So the two great introductions to the kingdom of God coming, the kingdom of Christ coming, were John the Baptist, who was the forerunner, and then Jesus, who was the Messiah, both of whom said that we should repent and believe because the kingdom of God was at hand. The kingdom of God was near, not near in a time or, or in sort of a, a, a space kind of an idea, but near in every other sense that the kingdom of God is near. It's, it's, it's something that we can reach out and touch because it has come. It came when Jesus came and John the Baptist knew that and said when he saw Jesus that here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the one who is going to bring the kingdom has arrived. So get ready. Change the way you live. Change the way you think. Begin to live a different way. Begin to think a different way. And the kingdom of God will be realized, will be experienced. Many times in our lives, we finally discover the kairos as a moment in our lives or a moment in our experience or an event in our lives or our experience, or a period of time in our lives or experience, when the kingdom is closer than in other times. Um, it is the, the thin place of Celtic spirituality that, that says that between this world and the other world is just a very thin veil, and there are places... Um, where Celtic theology would say the kingdom is near there. It's near the Giant's Causeway in Northern Ireland, if you want to know where it is. right? Not so. But in our lives, as we seek to discern how we function in such a time as this for the glory of God, for the purposes of God, then we might look for those kairos opportunities. And that'll be the assignment, is to say... As the world around us is in turmoil, what opportunities come along that didn't exist otherwise? What are the ways that more than any other time, people's hearts might be opened, might be ready for the love of God or the inbreaking of the kingdom of God? A very simple way. Um, Yesterday's star 
on the front page said, why are we all angry? And there's a whole front page article um, just ruminating on the fact that people generally are angry. What are we angry at? We've no idea what we're angry at. Turn, we, we turn against one another and get angry at one another, and that, we, we discover that's really not the solution. Um, we listen to our politicians and we get angry at them, and we say, well, what was the point in that anger? Why, why are we angry? Um, again, it's one of the expressions of our fallenness. And one of the ways, perhaps, that even this week, we could be used to discern kairos moments would be to diffuse anger, um, would be to minister to people in the midst of anxiety, um, to bring a kind word to someone who has not heard a kind word over the last while, to a frontline worker, to a healthcare worker who is saying, I am done. I am totally done. Our, our doctor's office actually wrote a letter to all of their patients and said, please stop being angry at us over the phone. Isn't that terrible? And yet, that's such a time as this. There's an anger that is either beneath the surface or actually bubbling up out of the surface. And we might say, that's a Kairos opportunity. Instead of being impatient with somebody else and displaying the fact that I am also anxious and angry, to show the fruit of the Spirit, to show the kindness and the grace of God, could bring us to the point of having someone say to me, why are you not angry? Why are you not anxious? You say, well, actually, you wouldn't put it in these words, but in your mind you would be thinking, because I was raised for such a time as this, because this is a kairos opportunity. This is an opportunity that wouldn't have been afforded in another time to show the graces of God, to show the gifts of God, the fruit of the Spirit in my life. And, and so I'm going to watch for that. We can go from Sunday to Sunday and think, yeah, okay, that's a, that's, that's a good thought, that's important. And on Wednesday, it, it just never crosses our mind. But on Wednesday... Why don't you mark it on your calendar and say, somewhere today, there must be an opportunity for me to say, I've been raised for such a time as this. I've been brought for such a conversation as this. I have been brought for such a conflict as this. I have been brought here because of such a sense of anxiety as this, because it's a Kairos opportunity that God would give me to advance his kingdom, to let his kingdom breakthrough. Esther was reluctant and, and she was fearful. And we need to be honest with one another that so are we. We do struggle with the things that everyone around us does. But we need to turn to God in those matters, submit to him and receive from him the grace that he has for us so that we can then in turn um, pass it on to the next person along the line. It's a very simple lesson, isn't it? Um, and yet we know it's the truth that Kronos is just Kronos. Um, this pandemic will come and go. This war will come and go. Um, weather calamities will come and go, probably come again. Um, but in each of these situations, what's the Kairos opportunity? 
What is there that I can do because I've been raised for such a time as this? I have been brought to the throne for such a time as this. Esther wanted to shrink away from the opportunity. And in her dialogue with her cousin, she said, I can't, I can't do anything. You, you know what it's like. And, and we could do the same thing, and it would be understandable. We could say, I, I feel exactly the same way. I have the same anger in me as others are expressing. I have the same anxiety as others. I worry like everyone else does about my kids and my grandkids and all the rest. But Esther said, if I perish, I perish. There, there was the, just the way through for her to say, well, wait a minute. The important thing here is not even my survival. The important thing is not that I keep my, my throne as the queen. The important thing here is God's glory because God's glory in the Old Testament was invested in his people Israel. And if Israel was going to be slaughtered, Esther was willing quickly to put her preferences aside, her fears aside, um, her rights aside, and say, if I perish, I perish. Mordecai was a wise man. We'll talk about how wise it was for her to hide her identity, how wise and how cunning he was in um, what he suggested they should do. It's all very, very interesting. But in the middle of it, for sure, is this young woman whom we remember as being willing to understand that she had been raised for such a time as this. Are we going to live this week, this month, as Kronos, or will we open our eyes to see that there are Kairos opportunities all around us like never before? Let's see. Why don't we pray about it? Father, we thank you for the wonderful story of Esther. We thank you, Father, for her courage and for her faith and for the implicit trust that she had in you, even though it is never described, never disclosed to us in her story. Father, we pray that you will help us this week to um, find our, our moorings um, to realize that for such a time as this, perhaps you have us where we are, doing what we do, um, being who we are. And we ask, Father, that we might be able to tell one another about the ways in which your kingdom broke through, um, the ways in which your kingdom came. And Father, place in our minds the realization that time is in your hands. Nothing in our world or our lives surprises you. Nothing in the story of Esther was beyond your notice. But what we didn't notice was how you were behind the scenes and working. So, Father, I pray that you will give us that kind of confidence in you. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen.